You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. We're on the beat, recording this Monday night. I've got pretty much the beat. Greg Barnes, Gregory Hall, and D. Ross Martin here with me tonight. We're going to talk a little football and basketball, since these guys cover it all. I'm going to start with football, a little bright spots for North Carolina fans of late. Greg Barnes, come to you first. I guess uh, Mac Brown changing his staff up was has been the news. Of course, some news came out player-related uh, later Monday as well. But your thoughts on, on the staff changes? I mean, it's a lot of people talk about continuity. I don't know if necessarily continuity is affected at all by this change, but your thoughts there. Yeah, I don't think continuity is is much of an issue whatsoever. I, I think really what Mac Brown wanted to do with this hire uh, is bring in somebody that that fit more what Jay Bateman was looking for. I I think this was a Jay Bateman hire when you look at uh, Javon uh, Dewitt's you know, background and his history with Bateman at Army. I think that's uh, that's kind of the key component of this. And I think when you look at what transpired in special teams for North Carolina this year. Uh, as Mac, throughout the course of the year, he, he touched on it several times, but kind of highlighted the fact that you know we're, we're not necessarily getting burned on special teams, but we're, we haven't been great. We haven't been making those game-changing plays that, that Larry Fedora used to talk about. It was kind of blah. Uh, and you know, with that that tenth assistant, if you're going to use that for special teams, uh, that's that's got to be a successful unit. Now, how much is did depth have to play a role with that? How much did injuries? Clearly some. Um, but in terms of, uh, that's why I say, I, I think that the part that uh, Duets had history with Bateman, he understands what, what Jay really wants his outside linebackers to do. Uh, I think that was a bigger role here. And so I, I don't think it's a matter of uh, continuity with regard to recruiting because Scott Boone was, was not known as some great recruiter. Um, he had a specific role within the staff, and you know, if you, if you look at the the special teams, really, uh, the last couple of years for wherever uh, Javon's been, it's not like they've been fantastic. So I really think it's just a matter of, of meshing personalities between Bateman and, and uh, Javon, and uh, you know, if, if the fact that Mac Brown has been so adamant that in his return, he doesn't really care what other people think; he's doing it his way. He understands what it takes. The fact that he's willing to give a little bit of rope to to Bateman to make this kind of decision, I think that speaks volumes about Mac's opinion of Bateman, uh, and kind of speaks to what you know, this this defense can potentially become. And the fact that that Mac actually truly kind of believes in, in what it can become. Yeah, and I thought Scott Boone was was kind of a Bateman hire as well because he had worked with Bateman, believe somewhere else as well. So, um, kind of shows you that. Bateman's getting to pick who he wants to bring in. I don't know what really happened wrong with Boone other than just not as good special teams, but another guy who has worked with Bateman at that position and is familiar with the defense. 
that doesn't that run. yeah and ross doesn't that speak to I mean, a lot of folks said, oh, Bateman's going to be such a hot commodity and all that. I mean, if he's getting his guys here in Chapel Hill, I mean, that bodes well for Bateman's future in Chapel Hill, at least on its face. Um, You know, because I think Bateman, and we could talk Hess as well, but I think those two guys were pretty huge for North Carolina this past year and will be going forward. For sure, yeah. And I'm still trying to find where Scott Boone and – Bateman worked and his page for UNC on GoHeels.com has been deleted. So they go to another source. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a fact that um, Coach Brown, you know, he kind of trusts his, you know, he's a delegator and he trusts the, the guys he's hired to, to bring other, other people and he consulted Longo and Bateman to bring in Hess. And by all accounts, Hess has been great. And um, obviously the Boone thing didn't work out, but the Javon DeWitt hire is another move. And I think it's great that. The staff has uh, maintained continuity. You see school down the road in Raleigh making tons of changes. And, of course, UNC has made changes in the past. And that's never good for recruiting. I think it's important to have the coach become familiar with the high schools in his area. That's big for recruiting. So um, that's a positive move for the continuity of the staff outside of one extra hire. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is when when you look at what Mike Brown is trying to do, we we knew – 2019 was going to be a rebuilding year. And once you got through that first year and the coaches understood the players and the players understood the coaches and the coaches knew what they had on the roster and what they could work with moving forward. uh, After that point, it was going to be all systems go. And so this was a very quick decision. I mean, this is not, you, (laughs) we had some with Fedora where we didn't know who the coach was going to be until like March. (laughs) So this is super fast. Uh, and the fact that UNC is probably going to hit the transfer portal pretty hard, it tells me that that Mac is not messing around here. Uh, the the time horizon here is maybe shorter uh, because he, he wants to speed things up as much as he can. And I think so. If you see if you see a weak link on your staff, move on. I mean, there's no no reason to to wait around if it gets better. If it's not doing what you need it to do, cut bait and, and go on to your next next lure. And I, I think that's what you're going to see with the transfer portal too. I think there's going to be a number of guys they go after, Christian Roche uh, from Temple being you know item number one. But if you can still a few guys like that to replace some of the big pieces of this defense that, that are leaving, you know, Crawford and Strowbridge, those types, you can really mitigate some of those uh, losses that you're going to have to worry about in the offseason. And so how, how active they actually are in the transfer portal, portal can't talk tonight, uh, with an idea of how serious Mac is. And I don't think there's any question that he, he wants to speed this thing up as quickly as he can. So as he's told us this year, he thinks 2021 can be special. A lot needs to happen over the next 18 months for that to happen. Uh, but these types of decisions, you kind of help get you there. Gregory doesn't, you know, 2021, like Greg mentioned there, but it seems to me, and listening to Greg and Ross talk, that maybe the schedule has been sped up to maybe it's 2020 that Carolina and Mac are shooting for, um, maybe unsaid, but their actions speak. And especially if they hit the portal, I mean, you've got Daz coming back, you got, Surratt coming back and, and of course Max said he didn't expect anybody to leave but 
nobody on uh, the message boards or in the Twitterverse or out there um, believed it until it was actually said. But is the the schedule or the timeline speeding up in your opinion, or, or are we still on 2020, 2021 um, I mean, being Mac Brown's plan? I mean, there were, I mean, at least from a student and from a student fan perspective, I mean, there were a lot of people that it was 2019. I mean, I mean, they got caught up in, in all the hype and had a chance to win the coastal and couldn't do the things that needed to be done. And then once that happened then it was like, okay, yeah, like first year coach, uh blah 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 they're like yeah they'll figure it out um 2021 and then but it's 2020 like i say say 2020 is what is realistic at this point based off how many guys are coming back on the offense um i mean the at the beginning of the season right the offensive line was a question mark but they've gotten uh plenty of games together plenty of snaps yes losing charlie heck and nick polino is not not great but it's better than losing uh, Daz Newsome or Michael Carter, um, both of which are coming back. I mean, you guys mentioned the the transfer porter on defense, and yeah, right now they're losing four starters on defense. But if you can go get a guy like Quincy uh, Roche uh, and things like that, then I mean, then you're kind of solving your issues a little bit with losing uh, Aaron Crawford, Jason Strobridge, Miles Dorn, and I'm forgetting somebody. But who's the fourth guy? Dominique uh, Ross. Dominique oh, wow. Ross. Sorry, sorry. He wasn't a star at the beginning of the season. But, yeah. Uh, so, I, I say 2020 is pretty, real, pretty realistic at, at this point. And then if it doesn't work out, you'll get the, oh, well, we always said it was going to be 2021. Um, so, I guess I guess if you start your expectations lower at 2021 and then 2020 <laughs> doesn't happen, then you're like, ah, 2021. But if it happens in 2020, you're like we're ahead of schedule, which I think is a pretty would be a pretty cool thing to say, and you definitely would hear Mac Brown say, you know, I wasn't sure what we were gonna get out of this team. Uh, we thought 2021, but hell, we're 2020 ACC Coastal champs, bring take bringing on taking on Clemson. Probably <laughs> probably gonna hear something like that if that happens. I, I think a lot of this is the fact that they know they only have. How for two more years, and so they got two years to capitalize on a, you know, one, one of the probably one of the better quarterbacks they're going to have um, at UNC. So I mean, they have a good chance. The offense has a chance to be really, really good next year if they can figure it out in the offensive line. I think there's no concerns on the skill positions now, especially getting Daz back. I think Josh Downs, with what he's done on the All Star circuit, is going to be impact freshman. So the wide receiver is going to be set, running backs are set, quarterback is set. Um, figure out the offensive line. This can be a, a much better offense. Than, than offenses that was, was really, really good this year. So if they can get the, the, the defense figured out and bring in a grad transfer on the defensive line, it looks like they're definitely going after Quincy, Quincy Roche. I'm not sure if that's going to work out, but if they can bring one or two more guys on the defensive line, um, they could be really good next year. Yeah, the, transfer, for, the transfer portal, I've listened to y'all mess it up, it is crazy. I mean, it's just full, and it is – I don't know how I feel about it. It's another podcast, but uh, it certainly provides opportunity for Carolina to load up in some spots that are question marks. Let me talk about Johnny T-shirt just briefly. They're sponsors of this podcast. They're great sponsors of this podcast, and they're great friends to Inside Carolina and to Carolina fans in general, football, basketball, baseball, soccer, anything you need 
anything you could possibly want Carolina related is that Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, johnnytshirt.com. If you're in town for a basketball game, uh, stop and see them at Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. Spring game's coming up. You need to get your Carolina football gear for that. It's April 18th, but it's not that far off, uh, especially when you get old like me. JohnnyT-shirt.com, of course, get anything anytime you need it. Great customer service in both places. 10% off your order if you're Inside Carolina Premium subscriber. Um, I told Gregory I was going to let him ask a question, but I'm going to go to Greg Barnes first, and then Gregory, you can chime in and I'll get quiet. But Greg, that discussion that, that we're having here, uh, the moving up the timeline, I, I think it's relevant because if if I'm not mistaken, after 2020, Aside from Sam Howell, Carolina loses a ton, skill position-wise. Am I I right there? I'm pretty sure I'm right there. Um, Yeah. So is 2020 a realistic expectation for Mac Brown? Well, I think you have to understand, you have to look at it from the right perspective. And we're talking about, is this the year? The year for what? Well, the Coastal Division is not very good, and we've talked about that for years. Is sitting there waiting for somebody to be decent. We've had a different coastal winner each of the last seven years. Every single member of the coastal has won at least once over the last seven years. Uh, you look at what happens on the Atlantic and Clemson and uh, Florida State have dominated for years and years and years because they're actually good programs. So I think going through this year and knowing that you've got a stud quarterback in Sam Howe and that you got a lot of guys coming back. You, you still have some talent issues you have to address, but if you can fill some pieces, you can make a move and you can win the coastal uh, without having to be great. I mean, this is a team that beat one team this year with a winning record. And yet they were in the coastal race until November. So we're not talking about having to be some elite team. But what happens is if you're able to win the Coastal, uh, the, the team has success against Clemson you know, back in, in September. And granted, Clemson is a completely different team now. Uh, but just building off of that, you can say, look, guys, if we can just get to the ACC championship game, we have a fighting chance. We have an opportunity uh, if Clemson has an off game and we play really well, we can beat them. And if you win the ACC championship, I mean, Carolina has been, what, 40 years? since Carolina, four decades since Carolina won the ACC crown. So then you're talking about, you know, not only is Matt getting coach of the year, all these players are getting a lot of credit, all ACC, all these kind of things, and that supercharges your program immediately. And I think that's how they're approaching it. It's not a matter of, you know, are we going to be relevant on the national stage? Because to your point, Tommy, after next year, you lose a ton. You know, all the sophomores and juniors that contributed this year you know, if they have really good years next year, a lot of those guys are going to be gone. And that's where recruiting and, and depth really comes in. That's why it takes so many years to really build up a program where you can be consistently good year in and year out. You can have solid years like Carolina had in 2015 where you win 11 games, and then what happens? The next year, because you lose some guys, you're back to eight. And that's what we see a lot. The elite teams, they have such incredible talent that they can lose five guys in the first round in the NFL draft and still be really good next year. North Carolina is a long way away from that. 
you know, recruiting over a period of years gets you to that point. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, if, if they think a few pieces can get them in a position to win the coastal next year, do it, run with it, uh, continue to build on the program. And that only helps with recruiting. And that solves this issue of, of trying to navigate the, the highs and lows that come with depth. Speaking of elite programs that can lose five guys, UNC goes down and has to take on my Tigers next year. And there's a difficult Auburn Tigers for all of, for those who don't know who my Tigers are. And in, it's a difficult. Hang on, hang on, Gregory. You're going to be graduated. You're not going to be with IC. Who are you going to be pulling for Ooh. next year? Oh, well, I did. I did get tickets from my dad for Christmas, so I will be there. And that's not what I asked. It's going to wear and realize I've got the plug in my hand. I uh, I haven't decided yet. No, no, I'm going to be rooting for for Carolina for sure. Oh, yeah, right. But Sad if they lo- but if Auburn wins, it's like I oh, yeah. national <laughs> championship bound. It was the same way at the Final Four last year. I was rooting for Carolina, and then because I wasn't covering the game, I was a student fan. And then Auburn won. I was like, oh hey, Final Four. Anyway, how likely, or I don't know if it's necessarily Sam Howell's abilities or teams adjusting to him. But how likely is kind of like a quote-unquote sophomore slump? Uh, at the beginning of this season, Trevor Lawrence, people were like, he's throwing these interceptions. What's going on? And then they took Clemson and him, and they turned it around. But how likely do you, does, is it that Sam Howell kind of goes into a sophomore slump, or does he continue to have – or is he going to continue along the Heisman hype, which, I mean, he's like what? pre Like the odds right now have him like fifth most likely to win the Heisman. What do you guys think about that? I think often the defenses will start to figure out some stuff, but I mean, he has his talent level is such a different level than compared to a lot of college quarterbacks. I, mean, I was just watching some bowl games, and God, some college quarterbacks suck. And UNC fans are so lucky to have this guy um, for the next three years. There's a lot of NFL Michigan. quarterbacks that suck. I know. Let's be you, you, so, you ain't lying. I think they're going to be able to figure out some scheme stuff, but I think the skill players will be better, and I think everyone will have one more year in Phil Longo's system, which I think is going to be valuable as well. So, I, I mean, there could be a chance where, where you know some of the scheme stuff's figured out by certain defensive coordinators, but overall, I think you'll have a, a better year than maybe not statistically, but you know, a, a really really solid year and probably win more games, and that's yeah, the most I- important statistic, Gregory. Yeah, you're right. And what <laughs> what Mac has talked about is like not Sam not being able to run as much. And if Jace is healthy, maybe we kind of see some passing yards go down and Sam's rushing numbers go up. But I don't know. Yeah, I kind of I I agree with you. Winning's most important. So even if he has worse numbers, if they go nine and three, people will be like sophomore slump. Who cares? Yeah, but what? How do you just find a sophomore slump? I mean, I Trevor mean, Lawrence they, threw a couple of interceptions and people were all over the guy. Well, he figured it out. And then he goes nuts. I think Clemson was just awfully casual early. Didn't matter either when he threw interceptions. They still won. Yeah, exactly. Greg, what do you think? <laughs> Let me uh, click that mute button there. Uh, what I think. Look, I, I, if I'm I, a defensive coordinator, and I know that Sam Howell's strength is deep balls, uh, I'm not about to, have to just go man-free. Uh, I'm going to do cover two, <laughs> cover three maybe, uh, and just take away the deep shots and, and make North Carolina beat you down the field, Deacon and Duncan. 
basically say, oh, we're going to make you play like Larry Fedora wanted to play. Dinkin' and Duncan? Dinkin' and, and Duncan? Come on, man. Not donuts. <laughs> It's your Auburn background. Yeah, but Greg, I mean, I mean, giving the ball to Daz Newsom, you know, off a, a three-yard slant, four-yard slant. I mean, that's going to be pretty effective, I think, too. I, I think, and I don't we, think we haven't seen that. that. And I, right, make him do something different. But I mean, in terms of pasture rating, I was looking at PFF. I mean, he's seventh uh, nationally with with guys that have at least four hundred dropbacks. So what he's done has just been phenomenal. Uh, and so I think you have to figure out a better way to kind of get after him because he will get better dealing with pressure. And that was kind of for him this year. As guys are like, you know what, if we can get to him and make him move and hit him, he's not nearly as effective. But if he has time just to kind of sit back there and throw, especially in the deep balls where he can get one-on-ones, his receivers are good enough when they catch the ball uh, to really to really pose problems. And you don't have to win a few of those each game to have success. So if you take away some of those deep throws, then you're making them do a little something a little bit different. I, I'm not saying he can't do that. I'm just saying we haven't seen him do a lot of that. Uh, and that's, that's, that's going to be the fun part is how do these coordinators say, okay, we have a year worth of film on this kid. What can we do to make it a little bit harder for him? Of course. Yeah. I got a question for Gregory and Greg. Um, defense. We know, we know we've talked to offense. We know they're going to be pretty good, if not better than next year, than this year. Defense. They lose, you know, some key players. I don't know how much the Miles Dorn loss is going to affect them, but they do lose Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge. I think, you know, two of the better defensive tackles, defensive linemen in, in the, in the league. And Crawford was one of the better run stoppers in the nation, according to PFF. Um, so they lose those guys, but they get Chaz Strat back now. And they bring in some freshmen that could have some depth. And the secondary, I think, is going to be very healthy and very experienced now. And Jay Bateman has talked about how when they have the right corners and the right depth in the secondary, they can do a lot more things that he wasn't able to do this year because he was working with Gregory Ross. He was working with Storm Duck. He was working with his second, third string cornerback. So defense next year, you think you take a step forward, even with the losses, or is it going to be about the same? I mean – What's huge, like you mentioned, the secondary is getting Patrice Rene back from injury and Miles Wolfolk. I mean, Miles Wolfolk was their best defender when those games that he was in and he was uh, got those interceptions and he was uh, doing a solid job in, in coverage. And so I think you lose Miles Dorn, but then you get Miles Wolfolk back. I think that's huge. Um, and then without having Patrice Rene out there and even Trey Morrison getting hurt sometimes, like you mentioned, Storm Duck. Greg Ross, those and those corners struggled, but they still got playing time, um, and were kind of forced to kind of be like, "Look, you're going to be out there doing this," um, and so they got that under their belt. So I think the secondary takes a probably a larger leap forward than maybe any of the other uh, positions, offense or defense. And, and you, would, those you guys. Would assume the linebackers would be better. I, I don't even know if Patrice Renee starts next year, um, what? given what they have. Ah, hey, he's coming off an injury. They got two transfers. Coming in, they got Trey Morris and Storm Duck. You got to think he's, he's starting. How much do those transfers play at their previous schools? One was at Clemson. Hey, I, I think Michael from Clemson. Is it one from Virginia Tech? Bateman really likes the guy from Virginia Tech. Told me. I think Renee well, he, starts. He should. Renee starts. 
I think there's a lot of hype for for a lot of these guys that haven't played a whole lot, and I think there's a lot of talent there. Uh, you do have to develop it, and they do have to adjust on the fly. Um, I think I've always thought, and I think a lot of people do. I'm, I'm not alone in this, obviously. What you have up front is what matters most. And you want to talk about linebacker improvement for North Carolina? You want to talk about first-team All-ACC for Chad Surratt? I imagine that he he went and said thank you to Aaron Crawford and Jason Strobridge for the reason that, that Ross mentioned. Um, those guys were stout. And the fact that neither of those guys got the All-ACC attention they deserved is frustrating for me being able to watch the games. Um, when you have Aaron Crawford demanding a double team pretty much every single snap, which frees up a guy like Strobridge, who Bateman says is the most dynamic defensive player that he's got. Those two guys wreaked a lot of havoc last year. And you only have to go back one year when Crawford was out to see what a difference maker he was. I mean, because you had a lot of four-star defensive tackles on that 2018 team who were veterans. But they were not nearly as productive as Aaron Crawford was in the middle. Um, and so I think unless you can fill those two spots, which are significant and big, I mean, those are two of the best defensive linemen North Carolina's had uh, in a decade. I think that is a, a big ask, uh, you know, and Chaz and Jeremiah will certainly get better. How much will we actually see that? That remains to be seen because they're going to need guys up front to, to free them up. And they, they really enjoyed that luxury this year. Uh, I do agree that by getting the guys back in the secondary, that's going to free Bateman up to do a lot of different things. That's going to be able to mitigate some of those issues up front. But you have to be able to stop the run. And North Carolina was able to do that by and large this year. Uh, and if you can do that, you, you can protect yourself on the back end. But you've got to be able to do that first and foremost. Uh, and if you can't, it doesn't matter what you what you have in the secondary. I think, and something, and we'll talk about it over the summer and certainly when we get into fall camp, and Greg, I think you'll agree with me, Gimmel and Chasserat ran free a ton right. this year, and they don't do that without Aaron Crawford, and to a lesser extent, even though he's more dynamic, Strobridge. Because if those linemen can get to Surratt and Gimmel, they don't make half the plays they make. And folks don't understand that. And you mentioned, Greg, the frustration with the all-ACC teams and all that. It just tells me, and I'm a part of it, we all are part of it, but most guys in the media don't know what they're looking at. They look at defensive line play or offensive line play, for that matter. They just vote. There's, you know. Yeah, just looking at just looking at the stats, which yeah, I get. Uh, and Crawford, if I, my memory served, had one tackle or one credited <laughs> for one tackle against Temple. And if you see that, you say, oh, you didn't do anything. <laughs> That's what I mean. They don't know what they're talking about. It's a great discussion. It's fun talking football these days. We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk that other sport that is basketball. Carolina is struggling. We'll talk about it when we come back after the break. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. 
With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This day Inside Carolina Own the Beat podcast. I'm Tommy Ashley. Got Ross Martin, Gregory Hall, and Greg Barnes. Ross, I'll come to you first, man. Eight and six. And, uh, you know, the if watching the games, I could always sort of justify the record except for the Wofford game maybe because of who they played. I mean, they played a hell of a schedule thus far with all the big-name teams. But that first 10, 15 minutes against Georgia Tech, I know Sherelle McMillan said it. I'll say it. I'll tack on to it. And I've been watching longer than Sherelle has. That that was literally the worst exhibition of Carolina basketball I've seen (laughs) in my memory. Those 15, 13 minutes, whatever it was, specifically against Georgia Tech. Uh, you were there. You saw it. What'd you think? Yeah, I mean, this team really struggles with uh, scoring the ball, and that's that's evident. And I think they lack some leadership, uh, especially from the I mean, the seniors, the guys are supposed to be leaders. I think that's becoming evident here that they can't just come together and and kind of find something. But um, yeah, I mean, where I mean, where to start with this? The 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 first first 10 minutes or so. I mean, they just can't make shots. They can't run the offense. They were getting beat on defense, on backdoor cuts throughout the game. Um, they just don't – you just look at the lineups they put out, and it's just frustrating, uh, I guess, as a fan. You, you're just like, man, nobody on this roster can really score. And I think Greg and I were talking about it, and Gregory, you know, Garrison Brooks is becoming your number one option. And, you know, he was the sixth option last year, fifth or sixth option last year, and he had 35 points. I mean, this guy – it, it, this guy should Garrison Brooks should be scoring about 12 points a game and getting 10 rebounds, but no one else is really scoring. And so he has to step up and he has been, he's been counting on to score a lot of the points, you know, just no one can shoot. No one can make shots. The offense isn't flowing. No transition points. I think is a huge concern. I mean, that's where UNC's bread and butter is getting easy baskets and that just opens th- things up and that's not happening for this team. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of disappointing players as well. We can get into that a little bit later. Gregory, I mean, Brooks, I told my son, and I always do this on these podcasts, I said, look, when you play like he played against Georgia Tech, and granted, he wasn't good in the first 12 minutes either. I mean, none of them were. But at least he put up some sort of fight, and he did what he could. The kid was obviously gassed at the end. He did all he could do, I think for Carolina to win that game. And it just just did not happen. Gregory, your thoughts on his mood afterwards. I mean, it's pretty tough to 
do everything you can and nobody else really do much to help. And it may be talent. It clearly is talent, but I still don't think that justifies what we've seen quite a bit this season. I mean, yeah, I mean, Garrison, he definitely did all that he could. Um, but even then, I mean, 35 points, I mean, saying Garrison did all he could, is kind of epitomizing what UNC kind of is this season because he had a great offensive game, but because he had to have a great offensive game, he was gassed. He played 36 minutes. And then on the defensive side of the ball, he had a negative defensive grade and Roy kind of ripped him for it and the team in today's practice and film session. And so, I mean, that's why Garrison's mood after the game, I mean, they were all down because how do you, how are you not down after going 0 for 15? I mean, the four of us could have probably been out there for 14 minutes and made a basket in 14 minutes. I mean, you guys got some height, so I think you could do it. <laughs> I so, would have at least had to get knocked down. Exactly. I tried to run somebody over. <laughs> right. So, I mean, that's why the, the, the mood was terrible, was not fun afterwards. But Garrison's mood specifically, he didn't want to talk about 35 points. I mean, and why would he? Um, that's just not the kind of guy he was. Even if they won the game, he's not going to be like, oh, yeah, I had 35 points. Look at me. He's not going to do that regardless. But he knew what Georgia Tech was able to do to them on the offensive side of the ball very easily. I mean, 24 layups and dunks for a Georgia Tech team that is comparable to UNC on offense. I mean, I don't even think UNC has had a game of 24 layups and dunks. I mean, that's just off the top of my head, but still. So that's why the mood was the way it was, and rightfully so, and is why Roy Williams tonight said that this is probably – uh, the least talents and team he's had since he's been at UNC. Um, he, said and that? He, had, he said that. And he has Ooh, no issue with saying true. that. True. It's true. It's in my, it's in my article. Peep it later, but a <laughs> uh, shameless plug, but, but I mean, I mean, it's true and we've seen it. We've talked about it. It's not the first time we've talked about, Oh man, Carolina struggling. Um, so yeah, I mean, the mood is, was bad and rightfully so. And yeah, I mean, there's not really much more to say about the Georgia Tech game. Mm. Greg, I mean, that's the thing for me watching it. I mean, it's one thing not to be able to shoot. I mean, you, sometimes the ball doesn't go in the basket, but the defensive effort against Georgia Tech, and they've got a couple guys that could play, but 24 layups and dunks. I think they were 10 for 11 on dunks. I mean, the defense for Carolina has been bad in the past. It had. It's never been that bad, I don't think. Your thoughts about what you saw? Yeah, but what what did we talk about in the Bahamas? We talked about the fact that this team was beginning to show itself as one that just could not shoot. It was not a fluke. This is who they are. But what were they doing well? What did they do well against Oregon? They played great defense. Part of that was they had Cole Anthony, who's a good defensive guard. The other part is that they played with a ton of energy. And the only way for this team to compete is to be great defensively. And to everybody's point, that comes down to want to and effort and passion and all those things and pride, whatever you want to lump in there. We did not see that early against Georgia Tech. Um, And if that happens, I don't care how bad the team is, uh, you're going to get smacked. And that's one of the things. Like Pittsburgh's not a great team, but they're decent. And their two best players are guards. And all Georgia Tech had to do was 
send somebody down the lane and you had a, a backdoor cut or an alley-oop there available. And so if they come out like they, they did Saturday, they're going to get smoked by Pitt. And mm. if you lose the Pitt game, uh, you, <laughs> this one's, this one's going to unravel very quickly. Um, I think, I think the fact that, that Roy Williams understands what he has. And I, I think that's why he's so upset for the George set game is not, not that they lost, not that they shot poorly early. It's that he's trying to get them to play to their potential. Now, if they play to their potential and still lose, you tip your cap to the other team and, and move on and say, you know what, we were going to try to get better in these other areas. But if your potential level is already low and you're still not meeting it, uh, that's how he gets riled up. That's where he gets so upset and so distraught and so frustrated. And that's what we're seeing right now. And that's why we're seeing some of the, the outputs that, that have been taking place. And so um, he's got a lot of work to do in his hands. But when you don't have the talent, you know, so many Carolina teams in the past, and he says this about the 09 team for years and years, that team did not care about defense because they didn't have to. They could just roll the ball out there and go outscore anybody. And we've seen a ton of Carolina teams like that. This team does not have that luxury have it all season, and especially with Cole Anthony not out there, they have to be great defensively to win these games. Uh, they can't be good defensively. They have to be great. And so how these next three games play out, I think it's going to tell us an awful lot about how the rest of the season is going to go. And through these last games, they've UNC slowly fallen down the Ken Palm rankings, both offense and defense. They're both sliding. And you mentioned that they've got to be better on defense because they're so poor on offense. Compared to the rest of the country, they have a more efficient offense than their defense right now. They're 61st in adjusted offensive efficiency, and they're 66th in adjusted defensive efficiency. So, I mean, they're, obvi- they're I mean, Roy's mad because they're not paying more attention to defense, and the numbers are the stats are showing that, which is just just seems it's just crazy based off where and this be- team is. Yeah, and beyond Ken Palm. UNC is 101st in the NCAA's net rankings. That's what replaced the RPI. So winning against Georgia Tech is needed and it's necessary. That's not going to get it done, though. You know, when, you, when you lose some of these games that they have, now you've got to go out. Now you've got to steal some games that you weren't expected to win. And that's where it gets complicated because I don't know at this point in time if 10 and 10 is going to be good enough for this team to get a bid. And then you start saying, okay, well, now where are we going to find 10 wins out of the next 17 games? You Cole <laughs> comes back, that changes things. You know, you would think that changes things pretty quickly. But still, I mean, you're not going to favor North Carolina against Duke or Louisville or at Florida State, you know, even with Cole. Oh, they're not even favored so, at Pittsburgh. Right. That's why they may need him back before that. <laughs> before that trip up there so ross uh a lot of people on the message boards have the solutions or or talk about the solutions so let's talk about any solutions that roy williams has i mean he can't just sit everybody down he did that a little bit on saturday um so what can he do to get his guys I, i think for me watching him in that press conference um, he looked like he was just basically wanted to flip the table over and walk out. And if he'd have done it, it wouldn't have been surprising, I don't think. But 
there's only so much he can do or say. At some point, it's got to fall to the players. And folks don't like um, when you go after college-age kids and players. But, I mean, like some people have said, at some point you have to have some pride and stand up. So what can Roy Williams do, Ross? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think you're right. It falls on the players. I mean, you got to make shots. There's not anyone. I mean, Brain Robinson, I guess, is, he had four threes last game. You know, he hit a couple in the Yale game as well. But someone has to step up and make shots. I think, you know, Baycott really not playing well offensively in the last couple games. As Roy told me, he did have a double-double against UCLA. But beyond that, he struggled to score recently. I think it him UCLA more UCLA is a dumpster fire, just FYI. <laughs> But seriously, yeah. they are. They lost to Cal State Fullerton. They're, they yeah. are not a good team. Didn't they just beat Washington? So They're a yeah. decent team. They've <laughs> got some a, talent. They, they are were not, terrible against Carolina. They ha- yes, they have, they have talent. Uh, that is a dumpster fire, though. That, that is a massive work in progress for Kern. So, I, I think... Don't bring, don't bring to the equation. Yeah, you're lucky he kind of went cyborg on you because he just told you, Gregory. <laughs> I did not know what he said, but I don't know if I, I want to know what he said. Yeah, but no. <laughs> That was that was not a bleep out. That was a technical <laughs> issue, Greg. I'm sorry. I don't know what you said either, Ross. Yeah. So what? I mean, I think getting Armando Baycott back on track is huge. Um, you know, he might be struggling some because Cole Anthony is out and he's not getting the ball in the places he likes to receive it down low. Cole Anthony was really good at, at at passing into the post, and that's an art, and that's not. It's it's a lot easier said than done. Um, you know, with Garrison Brooks and Baycott, you have a really good one-two combo down there, and we've seen them play really well in some of UNC's wins, uh, you know, going back to the Bahamas and games before that, when those guys are, are clicking down low, this can be a pretty good team. Um, but beyond that, it's shot making. You have, you know, Leaky Black missing mid-range shots, Christian Keeling, you know, just struggling on offense, Justin Pierce. I mean, those guys aren't doing much. And I, I thought Jeremiah Francis, he, I, he did not stand out at all against, um, Georgia Tech, it, it almost seemed like he wasn't even there. I, I don't remember him maybe hitting one three. Other than that, not really uh, statistically significant in what he did against Georgia Tech. So they're, they're, they're struggling a little bit on point guard, and that's um, understandable given Francis' inexperience. I don't think K.J. Smith is much better. They threw in the walk on Robbie O'Han, uh, just kind of sent a message. But, uh, you know, you got to kind of wait out for Cole Anthony and you get Cole Anthony back, and things are a lot different. We have a lot different conversation. but. As of last Friday, he's not really doing much basketball type stuff, so it might be a little bit longer than the four to six weeks we were told. I mean, in yeah, Jeremiah's, I don't, I don't... go ahead, go ahead, Gregory. No, you go. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Jeremiah's the one dude uh, that Roy has held back on getting after, um, and just kind of a, he loves to bring up that he had a thousand days. I mean, he should bring this up. It's kind of remarkable. Thousand days between his last basketball game his sophomore year of high school and his first one this year, a thousand days. And so Roy brought up tonight um, that he was like, he started, he started getting after Jeremiah cause he wasn't doing uh, whatever the bleep Roy was telling him to do. And then Roy's like, yeah, I had kind of had to like take a step back, but then I also had to tell him, well, if I don't do this, you're not going to get any better. So I'm not actually going to take a step back. It's just kind of crazy. You're out here, but if you're going to be out here, you're going to do what the bleep I'm going to tell you to do. <laughs> Yeah, I think I've been impressed with Jeremiah Francis for the record. I mean, I'm not bashing this kid. I think he, he looks good. I think he's going to be a good player for UNC. I just think this team is a little in over his head right now. Um, and, and he's not – he, He's Yeah, he's not 
really killing it out there, but I don't think he's necessarily hurting this team either. Yeah, and I think I think Roy touched on this to Gregory's point post game Saturday night, and that he said, you know, he said that about Jeremiah, and then he also said, you know, we've got KJ Smith out there, and guys are driving by him. You know, what am I supposed to say? It's like, I mean, we we know who KJ is. I mean, he's he's a great kid, and he's trying hard and all these things. Uh, but he's a junior walk-on. And when you got an ACC caliber guard who's really good in Alvarado, you're not going to win that matchup a whole lot. And so you're kind of limited with how you can counter these things. How do you fix this? Well, we know this is not a good shooting team. Okay, Jeremiah Francis uh, shooting 24% as a point guard. And it's not because he's relying on three-point ball because he's, he's four of nine from three. Uh, he's having difficulties finishing at the rim. Why? Well, because of reasons we've talked about. Can't play a whole lot. And so it's difficult to criticize him for anything. Um, he's out there giving his best. And I think effort-wise, he does a pretty good job, even though he clearly is still learning what he's supposed to do defensively. I mean, you know, last minute or so of the game, uh, he basically gave Alvarado a wide-open layup. Why? Because Alvarado faked a three, and so Francis turned his back to him and went across the lane, and Alvarado was like, holy crap, he just gave me a wide-open layup and went and laid it up. And that's just a matter of understanding what you're supposed to do, not having played in so many years. Uh, and that's just a process that people are going to have to deal with if he's on the court. North Carolina needs him out there. We know this is not a good shooting team. How, how do you get points? This team gets points in two ways. Uh, offensive rebounds, which has been an issue over the last month. In terms of rebound margin, I want to say North Carolina is maybe plus two over the last seven or eight games. That's not going to get it done. But you have to get second chance points. You have to have a decided edge on that uh, in that category. And then the other thing is you have to be better defensively so you win the defense, the, the rebounding battle, especially in defensive glass, but also because you can force turnovers. And as we saw against UCLA and we saw against Yale to an extent, when the team is active defensively and they're able to get some turnovers, they can get out and score in transition. There's enough people on this team who can score in transition. It really alleviates some of those concerns. But if you're playing teams that are, you know, are going to match you on the boards and they're going to do a good job taking care of the ball, so that you're not going to have easy buckets. This team is going to have to grind out victories because that's just a tough recipe for them. They're going to have some games where they they're actually shoot the ball well, and maybe they can win some of those games. But by and large, I mean, this is a team that's going to shoot around 40 42%. And when you're shooting at that low of a level, you've got to do all these other things great. The good, the good news about it is defense, rebounding, forcing turnovers, that's not a really a matter of talent. That's a matter of want to and passion and all those things. And again, that, that's why he was so upset with how things played out Saturday. If he can generate that buzz with this team, they can win some of these games. But if we see more of what we saw, even for 10-minute stretches against Georgia Tech, we're not going to see this team get a lot better. And it doesn't matter. As I said, it doesn't matter if Cole Anthony comes back or not. Uh, going to see a dramatic improvement of those that's what you talked about there with the rebounding and defense i mean 
if a Carolina team in years past, of course, the talent level is different, but if a Carolina team in years past shot 40% in a game, they probably had 25, 30 points on offensive rebounds. And right. this group just doesn't get it done. The, the fast breaking and transition is really fascinating to see um, how much, how, you know, what talent matters in, in college basketball. Everybody thinks, um, you know, great coaches should win with anybody. Well, it doesn't work that way. I mean, Steve Kerr in, in Golden State, they're not any good because they don't have the talent they've had in the past, but he looked like a great coach in years past. Uh, I don't have anything else. Ross, you got anything else for this one? I think we've uh, we've yeah, covered man. the waterfront, both sports. I think it's talent on this team. I, don't, I just don't think the talent's there. We can track that back to some recruiting, and then the grad transfer's not panning out, and certain other players not stepping up. And I think there's legitimately only two or three ACC-caliber UNC players on this team. And again, there's there's five guys on the roster that are top 100 recruits, and beyond Cole and Armando, B. Rob is third, and he's I think he was ranked number 60 coming out. That's yep. what we're talking about here. How many yeah. Next year, wins next year will change. Go ahead, Gregory. How many ACC wins does this team get? So they're one and two right now. Play and like they, they did. did. They play like they did Saturday. One. Well, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Going uh, 500 would be over uh, under, over yeah. under 10 and a half. No, under, under. really yeah. nine and 11 or right? 10 and 10. Yeah, I think it's 10 and 10, and they they sweat in Greensboro for a NCAA tournament. Then they're not you playing on Tuesday, they're playing Ooh. Tuesday in ACC. I mean, <laughs> unless they unless Cole Anthony's return makes that big a difference, I think the Anthony Harris injuries. Big. I mean, it's just, I know he didn't do a ton statistically, but I think just something that kid brought to this team. It was tough. Well, yeah. He, did anything, it, he it, kept Christian Keeling on the bench. Jeez. And anything like, is that, that kind of crazy? <laughs> Isn't that, that right? Crazy I'm right, though. That, yes, you're right. You're right. Is that kind of crazy we're saying that, that the Anthony Harris injury is, is like a huge deal? Because I think at the beginning of the season, we would never have thought this guy would play much. I don't think we're really expecting him to play much either. But it's turns out he's he's a lot better than Keeling and, and Playtech and some other guys. Yeah, that was interesting. At in the Bahamas, those guys were afterthoughts. Francis and yeah. Aaron. And, and a starter and a, a big loss. Yeah. And it's just uh it's crazy how it's worked. Carolina basketball two thousand or twenty twenty. Hey, football school now. I hear you. Uh oh yeah, by the way, I think uh Carolina's game against UCF is going to be tougher than the one against Auburn next year. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time, maybe after you graduate. Okay. Bo Nix. <laughs> Bo knows. Bo knows. All right. Bo Relax. Picks. My son Aww. must say Bo Picks. I haven't heard that. I like that one. Yeah. It's, it's out there. Guys, it's been fun. It, it was a lot more fun than uh, the last one of these I did. So I uh, appreciate y'all taking time to get together on a Monday night to our listeners. Hope you enjoyed the On The Beat podcast with Greg Barnes, Ross Martin, Gregory Hall, and me, Tommy Ashley, on the, here on Inside Carolina. Thanks, boys. Yep. Thanks, Tommy. Bye, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. 
The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.